Okay, so sorry about that, folks. Uh, we had a slight problem with the um, rebroadcast, but we're back on air. Um, this is the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. We're here with uh, co-host Scott Raven. Welcome, Scott. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no biggie, VJ. Right? We yeah. had uh, we got a little um, redux of uh, last week's episode that the people got to hear um, Rick Giroux one more time. They can uh, listen to that full episode coming up on the uh, Truth to Power uh, website and on our uh, Facebook page. Um, so yeah, but we do have another guest today that will be joining us in just a second, and this guest. Um, is calling in from out of town, I believe, right? Is that is that true, VJ? Yeah, he's calling from Greece. Ah, Greece. You ever been to Greece? No, no. Well, well, actually, I have been. I have been. I have you, been oh, shit, you forgot. I, for a second, I forgot I have been, yeah. <laughs> I um, was in the musical Greece, but never been to actual Greece. Yeah, I went to Athens and some of the islands. Oh. In 1998, it was so long ago that I don't remember. I, I barely remember. So it didn't make that much of an impression. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Let's try to pull up WhatsApp. Because now it seems that, uh, yeah. Is he standing by? Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Hello, hello. How are you? Good. Let me see if I can increase the volume. Hang on one second. Um, let me increase the volume. Let's see. Can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Yeah, now it's coming out louder. Yeah. Nice. Yes. Yeah. That's great. That's a little All right. better. Great. All right. Let's see. I am in effect to the yeah. left. Yes. Okay. So let's see if you're coming in through the microphone, though. Through the Is it coming through the headphones? Yep. Oh, okay. uh, well, I don't know. I think I threw yeah. it here through there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You can hear me fine, right? Yeah, yeah. now I can hear you. Yeah. So now you're coming through the headphones. Okay, good, good. All right, so let me introduce you uh, <laughs> since right. I forgot to pull that up. Um, yeah, let's tell us a little bit about where you are and where, what's going on in your life in the meantime. Sure. I am, I am in Germany right now. I'm in Munich. This huh. is where my mother is from. Uh, we're having, you know, the family gather here for the holidays, for Christmas. Everyone's getting together. My brother's coming in a few days. My parents are here. Um, at my grandma's place. My uncle's coming later tonight. And uh, I, I arrived here this morning. I came from Athens. I was in Greece for almost half a year. Yeah, about five five months or so, four or five months. Um, Fantastic. I have an extended extended holiday it sort of hearted uh, it sort of started out as a holiday uh with some friends i didn't have a return ticket and i ended up staying i ended up meeting a an architect there who was actually who i was renting from specifically my landlord and we collaborated on a project he wanted to start a sustainable living learning center he had some land in the mountains the peloponnese mountains so I spent a little time doing that and helping him out with that. And then I sort of took off on my own, um, on my own, on my own project with, 
just being there and being being surrounded by the history and the culture and just starting to become fascinated with ancient Greek history and ancient or just history in general and just consuming podcasts and reading books and uh, philosophy as well. So that that has been my um, focus for the past two months has just been uh, consuming everything I can on ancient ancient Greek history, ancient history in general and philosophy. And um, I'm working on developing sort of learning materials for uh, for you know to come up with creative ways to, to teach the ideas in philosophy and in history so that's kind of what I'm working on now mm-hmm. um, and it all came out of that trip to Greece yeah yeah that's great that's great so that, yeah that's, that, that's where I'm at kind of what was, what was the impetus to, to get to Greece right off the bat actually it was had you had a previous connection to it or uh, a friend basically you know there was nothing special person in particular about Greece but we had a friend so I, I studied in Luxembourg I did my, my master's degree there mm. and uh, I went back to Luxembourg to visit some friends and one of my friends was from Athens and she invited us to come visit her so that was the reason and uh, fell in love with the place wonderful place So tell us a little bit about, like, in your bio, which I can't seem to pull up, but in your bio, you're talking about the flow state. Tell us a bit about the flow state and how that kind of informs your process. Sure. So the flow state, first identified by a guy named Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and it took me, it took me months to get that name right. Yeah, where's that, what's that out of, that name? name I, I feel like he has the best scrabble name ever right you could use names in scrabble um but he yeah he identified the he identified the flow state i mean people have been experiencing it you know since probably humans have had the ability to concentrate on something um but he identified it and so the story behind it was you know it was like the 60s and he was sort of fed up with psychology the state of psychology at the time um and everybody was you know to him everybody was all the psychologists were studying what was wrong with people nobody was looking at what makes a meaningful and fulfilling life right so he wanted to change that and he said why don't we study those people that are really happy that are fulfilled that are doing things they really enjoy doing you know what life life is meaningful for them so he started that as his that was his starting point that question and he ended up discovering that he ended up discovering something very remarkable um it was almost a universal characteristic of 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 humans is that people regardless of the activity that they undertook they sort of described this experience of the flow state very similar they all talked about it um as being as like being carried by the flow of a river and it didn't matter if they were if it was a surgeon performing surgery or a basketball player or a rock climber or a painter the key element was that they were just so engaged in you know the activity that they they lost all sense of time they they lost self-consciousness 
you know, being self-conscious, they, they, there was this paradox of control where they felt completely in control of the situation, but they were also somehow letting go, uh, being carried away by the flow of the river, um, you know, metaphorically speaking. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if any, if either of you have had an experience that sounds similar to that, but, um, I sure, I sure did. And I was very intrigued with that, that idea. So I ended up setting out to, um, do my own research on it. And I had, I was fortunate enough to have the opportunity to do my research, um, in Luxembourg as part of my master's on, on the flow state. Right. So, so there's a chance you, you, you're in the flow state as you're studying the flow state. Um, um, or as you're, as you're writing about the flow state, um, which, which is really cool. Uh, just a quick couple background questions on this flow state. This first time, yeah, I'm hearing kind of the origins of it, and I'm definitely fascinated by that. Um, there, when they're, when this, uh, this guy, um, is questioning them, he is doing that through a correspond, a written correspondence, or is it them in their element demonstrating their flow state and he's then writing about it and, and recording about that it. That is a great, that is a great question, Scott. Um, there's a, there's an issue with the flow state because in order to be in the flow state, a hundred percent of your concentration has to be at the task at hand. So right. you can't be thinking about, am I in the flow state? That, that right away, you know, the moment you think that you're out of the flow state because your concentration is on the question. So it's, it's, you can only look at it sort of retroactively looking back and say, yeah. wow, yeah, that was, you know what I mean? That, I, was, I was just in that, I was just painting that, that picture that, that I was drawing for three hours and it felt like five minutes. And now I'm like, you know, I'm back into normal consciousness, my everyday quote unquote mundane consciousness. And it's only looking back that I can say I was in the flow state. But he also developed um, questionnaires um, where he would sort of disrupt people like every 15 minutes. I think he had like a huh. some method. I don't remember what it was called exactly, but it was some method where uh, every 15 minutes somebody would record their. They would have a. They would have an alarm or something where they would record their phenomenological experience, what they were experiencing, which again isn't the best if you're trying to sustain a flow state, but uh, you know, there's, I guess that's one way, that's one way to do it, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. I like that. Um, so, all right. So, so talk a couple, maybe examples of, of you having get gotten into the flow state. Um, I guess, you know, retroactively now we're speaking, but what, what pursuits right. put you, what put, put you into that, that frame of mind? Well, you were, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the research that I did yeah. was definitely flow-inducing. Uh, in general, I like doing research. You know, if, if, it, if it's a topic that interests me, and I can be, I can get lost in the research and um, collating and gathering data. Uh, for me, though, I think it started as a kid with drawing. Drawing was a huge activity for me, where I could I could just draw for hours, and get lost in it. Right. Um, I had to have a a pen or a pencil and, you know, a block of paper on me wherever I went as a kid. 
Um, and then, and then later it was basketball. Basketball was a huge influence on my life too. Um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember you, you mentioning that you, that you played, uh, I did as well. And where, yeah, yeah I, I've, right, I've right. right, right. Both, both being over six, six, two, I believe, which <laughs> right. in NBA standards, not, uh, not, not quite that tall, but, uh, competitive, um, so so yeah, I remember a hearing of athletes in basketball where um, you know they've talked of like time slowing down almost. Yeah. Um, uh, whether that's a component of flow state at all, is there any relation maybe to to the passage of time while in flow state? Absolutely, um, and I think some athletes call it you know being in the zone as well. Mm-hmm. Very similar idea, probably if not the same idea, the same concept. But yeah, that's another thing Chicksamihai found, um, and that you know, if you experience the first state, you'll probably you'll probably realize yourself is that the um, he called it time distortion. So for some people, right. it slows down, and for some people, it speeds up. It, it, it sort of depends on the person and their activity. Now, now, one thing I'm I, I'm thinking of is. Um, well, are you are you currently uh, you, you are you following kind of basketball out there or playing in in Greece? I know they they've got some some quite uh, great players that have come into the NBA from out yeah, of Greece. Greece. Well, Greece has a big. Um, I to see how big basketball was in Greece. Um, much bigger than than soccer, which is sort of atypical for a European country. But yeah. basketball seems to be what I what I. My feeling was that it was sort of the biggest sport in Greece. Yeah. Um, and you have Giannis Antetokounmpo, right? An incredible player. Um, but I did play basketball there. I played basketball a bit for. I trained with a club, uh, one of the local clubs, um, a little bit, and then I played just street ball. But, but oh, that's um, awesome! Yeah. How did how did the street ball was, was it was it gladiator style street ball or, or what would we? Uh... I got knocked up a few times, <laughs> um, but it was fun. Nice. Um, yeah. So so the thing I was thinking of with yeah with flow state, uh, you know what comes to mind for me is like free solo and and like rock climbers that are into um, you know doing something that you're in a zone. Are you not thinking of the the other kind of safety things like like you're so immersed in something that does it isolate you from focusing on other things that either might be harmful or or that you need to focus you might need to focus on because you're so immersed in something? That's another great question. I think in order again in order for in order to be in the flow state, there's you got to be 100% concentrated at on the task at hand. So any sort of thing that any any sort of fear, I think fear in the flow state goes together. So, but in the case of a rock climber or anyone who's doing an extreme extreme sport, for example, you know, it's about I think creating the structure, knowing that you have structures in place, like you have a harness on. But then again, you mentioned free soloing, so right. Um, it is. It is that is an interesting question. I think down to 
part of it is letting go and being able to surrender to the activity, surrender to the flow of the experience and letting and, and trusting in yourself and your intuition, particularly in the case of like a life or death situation like Alex Honnold when he's um, scaling, you know, half dome in Yosemite, which, by the way, is for me, one of the most incredible feats a human has ever done. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Yeah, it, it's about trusting your body, your body wisdom, and trusting that you're going to be able to react if if um, you have a slip up or if, if a rock comes tumbling down that you're going to, you know, you are going to be able to, to handle it. Because mm. it's still, I guess, presence in the moment. It's, um, it, it's presence, it's uber focus on what you're in, but still, still very present with what might happen, I, right. I'd imagine. Hmm. Now, you have some experience acting, right? Right. So, I don't know um, something similar to a flow state in acting, but I, I could see that as also like a metaphor for, you know, if, if people are, are not feeling comfortable they're, or they're, they don't feel safe, they feel like they're, there's some sort of anxiety or fear around it, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to fully let go and, 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 you know, let go into your role and enter that flow state. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would say like, even if you're on stage, uh, immersed in a character, you know, you, you're following a relatively uh, script, but you're still listening, responding. But if something happens kind of unplanned, hopefully you're able to react um, within the guise of how that character also would react within the circumstances, the imaginary circumstances that have been created. Right, mm. right, right. Yeah, that, that's it. That's it. Nice. So let's yeah. let's bring VJ into the, the yeah, conversation I, for a sec too. I just um, want to remind listeners this is the Truth to Power Show. I'm ready for Brooklyn. We're with co-host Scott Raven and uh, <laughs> special that. guest Zane um, Leadley. Um, Ludley, sorry. Ludley, I keep saying it was lead, but um, Ludley. And uh, yeah, we were talking a little bit about flow state. We were talking a little bit about now in your uh, bio, which says you have experience working with children and adults in the realm of creativity. So you're talking like the flow state really connects with creativity and the creative output. Um, and how does it connect with identity construction? That was really interesting that you said you research in yoga, the flow state and identity construction. So I'd like to focus in on identity construction for a moment. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, there were, there were three pillars to the, to my, to my research. Um, Yoga, the flow state, and identity construction, and yoga, you know, it, it is a there. There's a there's a philosophical system behind yoga. I mean, there's various various perspectives on it, but I was intrigued because they, in general, they have this idea of what the self is and what what the identity is, and that there's this idea um, in Sanskrit. It, it's the Atman is the Brahman. Which, you know, if you wanted to translate it into English, is something like the individual consciousness or the individual soul or the spirit is one with the cosmic consciousness or the, or, or the greater universal consciousness or the universe or, you know, however you want to put it. But um, the individual is, is divine, is just as divine as whatever we can imagine the most divine thing being. Um, and they also say that behind it all, awareness. like most essentially, if you boil it all down, we're not our egos, we're not what we think, 
We're not our thoughts. We're not, you know, what our passport says we are. We are just an awareness. Now, this, this is what yoga, this is my understanding of what yoga says, is we are this pure awareness. And we sort of identify with things in the world and we identify with labels and we take on identities and we define ourselves that way. And then the flow state, one of the dimensions of the flow state is this loss of self-consciousness. So being conscious of yourself as sort of an actor or a separate entity. So then you, so you can see how there's sort of, there's sort of a, um, I don't know, it's, you know, a similarity there, or they're, they're talking about something similar. So I wanted to see if people, they really get into the yoga and they have an experience of this awareness that yoga talks about, how does that relate to um, the flow state? And how does that, does that give them creative power, some more creative power over their life, you know? Does that give them a greater awareness and the uh, ability to choose how they construct their identity? Yeah, yeah, and also it's so interesting with the yoga how um, it pretty much says that. It pretty much is the idea of yoga is to yoke one's individual uh, yoke ego yeah. to the larger um, cosmic energy. And it's interesting since um, there's, you know, a lot of people are familiar with the technical or the very. Um, highly technical distinction in Hinduism, Buddhism, you know, in Buddhism, they believe in Anatman, um, they right. believe in not self. Uh, I know, um, right. how familiar, like how that fits into this picture. But, uh, basically my understanding is that, well, what, what yeah, would yeah. You say? What would you say? Cause uh, you're familiar with, you're, I think you're more familiar with Buddhism than I am, but I have, I have heard that, you know, there's this idea of no self. Yeah. Um, just the idea that I think it's a very archaic discussion, uh, in some level, because back in the day, yeah. they used to think of the ego as being a solid, solidified thing. And even when we think about reincarnation, we think about transmigration of the ego uh, into another body. Whereas Buddhism says right. technically we're constantly changing and is a constant reemergence of ourself. So I think there's some of an understanding of that in, in contemporary um, nomenclature. You know, when we think about the ego as being something that's constantly changing. So... The idea that it's constantly impermanent. But as far yeah. as as far as my understanding, um, in Buddhism, they also they also believe in reincarnation. So what what is the thing that's doing the reincarnating? Yeah, exactly. That's the big question. That's the big question. In Buddhism. It's like they have some ways around. I mean, I think I think a lot of times people tend to say that Buddhism kind of adopted reincarnation or rebecoming as rebecoming, rather mm -hmm. like you know, like um, it's a very it's a very highly technical uh, discussion about uh, right. around that but uh, culturally the cultural trappings of buddhism you know with hinduism and and the, the time period and how it's emerged even today now we have a lot of people in buddhism who, who kind of de-emphasize rebirth um or kind of de-emphasize mm -hmm. the importance of rebirth uh especially in the zen tradition um they kind of de-emphasize the, the importance of rebirth as being uh, something that we should be concerned about you know okay yeah. okay yeah but it's interesting when you think about the self as being like constantly changing, constantly impermanent, and that's a fleeting moment, a fleeting hair breath. You know, it's like a fleeting, fleeting breath of air that it, that can't be hauled on to. Well, the thing that really I, I take an issue with is the idea that we have to sort of transcend and, and 
and reincarnation is somehow bad that the cycle you know needs to be needs to finish um i i think you know you, you can enjoy you, the physical world that we live in the physical creation is a, a beautiful place to be and it's all mm. a matter of perspective yeah you know it's not it's not about it's not about leaving the world or um transcending the world i used i used to actually think that way but then when i looked at why why was i really thinking that way it was it's because there was a pain that i was sort of running away from yeah and that i couldn't you know, didn't want to face and my solution was okay i'm going to become a monk or a yogi or something mm. yeah it's interesting since like now now I've gotten to the, the very like you know there's there's a there's the understanding that we have from these vedantic and, and uh buddhist traditions that comes yeah. when you first enter it. And then there's a, like a highly philosophical version of it that almost contradicts the, the original premises that we entered into mm-hmm. it under. And this is one of the interesting discussion topics that, um, you know, uh, w- when I read about Buddhism, they talk about transcendence. They talk about, you know, leaving the physical body. But then when you get really mm-hmm. deep into the philosophical tradition, it seems like what they're saying is um, samsara, the cycle of rebirth and birth, and death yeah. is like a state of mind. So it's more like mm-hmm. uh, the suffering that's caused by all these things so that uh, we can we have controllable becoming, uh, controllable emergence or manifestation or what's the word? There's like mm-hmm. a word where uh, a Buddha like um, manifests in front of you and it's an incarnation or an emanation, emanation. You can have like an emanation mm-hmm. uh, coming of you so that then you're like a Buddha so that you can emanate to people rather than mm-hmm. incarnate. You know, it's like a very, it's a very highly like academic, almost like, you know, distinction between mm-hmm. like incarnation in the body where you're uncontrollable. You're at the, you're at the mercy of birth and death of the body as opposed to emanating when you're like a, a, a completely conscious being kind of creating their own that's existence. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Especially the last thing you just said about creating our own existence. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. And, um, it almost sounds like, you know, something like self, self-actualization or something mm. along those lines. Yeah. Of being, being your, well, again, I guess Buddhism wouldn't say there is a true self, but, you know, be, being your authentic self as much as you could, as much as you can be, and emanating that outwards and, and being a light and inspiring other people to, to embrace their own, you know, embrace their own uniqueness. Right. And so what would you say are some ways that, that people can tap into that self-consciousness um, a little more. You're saying through through yoga, um, through I, I, whether whether it be meditation, whether they can access their, their passion. But what are some other kind of ways people might be able to um, to enter? Well, into I'd like to make a, I'd like to make a distinction. So mm-hmm. there's there's two types of self-consciousness. Um, the way I see it, one right. was when I talked about the flow state, this idea of loss of self-consciousness, and that's sort of the self-conscious. When people say, "Oh, I was so self-conscious in that meeting or in that room," right, inhibition, and the sense, right, the sense there is, I was really, you know, there was a sense of anxiety, or I felt like I needed to perform in a certain way, Mm. or I was hyper aware of myself as a as a social actor, right, and you know that's more related to social uh, social anxiety, and then there's a self-consciousness of I'm aware of the self or who 
I am at my essence. I'm aware, I'm aware of this core, which is just the pure awareness. Right. Right. And it's a shame that we use, we use the word in both ways (laughs) Mm -hmm. because they're so, they seem like polar opposites, but, um, as far as what you could do to connect, what people, what, what anyone can do to connect with it, I think it's about following, following your heart, following what gives you life, what gives you a passion, mm-hmm. um, what gives you that feeling of fulfillment, and it can be anything, you know. It can be anything, um, but you need that space. You need to be able. You need to have that space to explore and find out what. What really tickles? What really tickles your heart? Mm-hmm. I think that's important. Yeah, I mean, it just some people are yeah scared of 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 that tickle or or even getting close to it that they insulate themselves from it. Um, um, I, I, when you were talking about yoga, it it brought to mind that that yoga um, it can add to self consciousness um, depending on how you practice. I, I I'd say like. Like going to a studio, let's say, where there's lots of mirrors and uh, then people end up looking at themselves and are body conscious throughout the whole thing. Uh, Or you're looking at other people as they're doing it. Um, I don't know if you have a practice maybe um, that, you know, you you do it on your own or do you prefer a group setting or kind of, you know, what, what, um, yeah, what, what was it? serves you best in in that respect and well i i taught yoga for almost two years at the university as well um and yoga is just a word it's just a name it's just a label uh there there is of course baggage around it like any like any word Mm -hmm. uh, or concept but i always just try to create a space for people to touch with their bodies um and you know, step out of mind and get into their body and what they were feeling. And it was, it was always, you know, I always said, go, go at your own pace. And, you know, don't, you don't have to, you don't have to follow any of the postures that we're doing. If your body tells you to, to do a headstand while we're, you know, lying down, go for it. Um, I'm not a teacher really, you know, I'm just here to create the space uh, and really your body is the best teacher. So, and I kind of take the same approach to my own personal practice. Mm. Um, you can call it yoga, but it's really just about finding what works for me such that I can increase the awareness of who I am and how I think and, you know, the contents of my mind and what I believe and choosing those beliefs that serve me and those activities that serve me, those physical postures that serve me because every body is different and one posture might not work for you the same way it works for someone else. So, but you know, it's important to have that space to be able to explore that, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and to be free to play, play with the different postures, to be silly, to, to, um, you know, dance in the middle of the class if you wanted to so we we had live music and everything was almost almost all of the music was improvised and there'd be times where i would just say listen to the music i'm not going to say anything for the next five minutes and just just you know essentially dance uh create create your own hybrid 
yoga asana dance uh move for the next five minutes yeah yeah love that yeah when, when i was uh studying acting the, the most beneficial class for me was just movement to music where it was just no prescribed yeah. actual routine but it was about kind of using levels and kind of just being you know, yeah being high being low going against the wall just kind of yeah using the space exploring your body that you could then translate yeah, to that. to on stage but also um yeah out out in life i mean just you know being a big person too you know like you know yeah what to do when you're just standing you know like just being comfortable <laughs> in your own skin um that's right. it yeah, yeah, absolutely. So also talking about uh, children and how childlike state of play and the childlike state of uh, energy or, yeah. or engagement, and specifically with how you work with children to encourage creativity and encourage the slow state. To what 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 do you think is the point at which you know a child begins to move away from the childlike state of play into more adult being, and then how can we revert back or how can we encourage them to maintain that state of play? I think it's something we can all access. Uh, we've all had it, you know, we all have the memory of it, but it's a matter of, do we allow ourselves to, to go there? Um, do we create a space in our own mind, in our own being? Do we, do we craft our own personal practice to whatever that may be? It may be yoga. It may be something entirely different. It may be, your shamanistic drumming or it may be um running whatever how do you how do we craft our own personal practice that comes from our own authenticity that gives us a space to return to that childlike state mm. um as far as why we lose it i think i think it's just even even well-intentioned parents they they sort of project their fears and their doubts and their worries on the child and, and the child sort of internalizes that or, or they feel, you know, when, when a parent comes home stressed, there, there's a guy, there's a doctor I love, his name is Gabor Mate, and he, he speaks about this. He speaks about the two needs that every human has, especially in the infant or, or young child, the need for authenticity, the need for attachment. And, um, Without attachment, we can't survive. We need to be attached to our caregivers, you know, to in order to survive. So we typically end up um, relinquishing or or sacrificing our authenticity for that attachment. So, uh, so a parent will come home and instead of showing our true colors, showing that we're upset about something. The parent is, their attention is still in the office. You know, they're not there. And um, the child, the message that is sent to the child is that I'm not important. Mm. You know, the, the, the child is like the ultimate narcissist. <laughs> they think everything is about them up to a certain age, right? So they don't realize that the, the guardian is upset not at them, but because they had a bad day at work or they're stressed about the deadline or whatever it is. The kid thinks it's about them. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting so, to think about. Yeah. And think yeah, about. So we end up sacrificing that authenticity and that creative spirit 
you know, sort of shrinks every time that happens a little bit. Right. But then, and I'd, I'd imagine though, there, there, there are circumstances with which that doesn't happen. Um, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll speak from, from my perspective of, of, uh, you know, having lost my mom at a young age, my, I, I lose my sense of attachment. Um, and then I'm seeking that elsewhere constantly. I become attention seeking, mm. but that still allows mm. me to be in that play state. And I guess I, I'm able to do that. And I, at, at some point, like I, I tapped into that more in like a theatrical context rather than, mm. rather than it in life always being about me. Um, um, so like the, the artist, you know, is able to, to be in a constant state of play, I would say. Um, but yeah. so many often, yeah. And, you know, you have, whether, whether it's your job or whether it's, um, something that, that takes you out of that, uh, for a lot of kids, I know right. it's, uh, you know, puberty too. I mean, just dealing with the changes of the body and the changes, not knowing how to, to, to do that takes them out, I guess, of the state of, of, mm. of play as well. I don't know if. Well, you mentioned um, being an artist, or just in general, artists. Mm -hmm. I think, or you, you know, you said you said artists um, being are, are in that state of play. I I think we need to start seeing everyone as an artist. Really, mm -hmm. I don't I don't like this distinction of creative types or high creative. Um. Our lives are creations. They're unique creations. We are all creators. We're all artists. Our lives are masterpieces. And we're, we're in a process of creating ourselves every moment, you know, by how we think and believe. Um, it's just the question is, are we creating from a program that doesn't serve us? Or are we creating from the heart, from authenticity? From, are we allowing the creative spirit to come out and be free to, to explore and play? Like you said, but I think we can all do it. I think we can all do it. Yeah, and also I want to talk to you a little bit about you know, like when we when you think about you know, kind of our lives in general, whether or not we are kind of um, you know, the traditional viewpoint is that things happen to us rather than us creating the the circumstances of our own lives, and in this in this kind of philosophy, whether or not uh, this approach to life. To what extent are we in control and to what extent can we empower ourselves to be the creator of our own destinies, the creator of our own lives? And I want you to comment a little bit on that and, and how you understand the creator aspect of, um, of identity. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think we all are responsible for what we believe. You know, you can lock somebody up in a jail cell. You can, you can, put them in a straitjacket or whatever, you can tie them down, but nobody can force you to believe something you don't want to believe. Mm. At the end of the day, we, we are responsible for our belief, um, which in turn affect our whole worldview, which in turn affect how we act in the world and shape our character. Um, so I think that's one, one aspect is taking responsibility for the lives, that, the life that we've created so far, even if, you know, our minds, our minds judge it as less than savory, but I think that's the first step really is 
saying, I am a creator. I've created this for myself. I don't know why. You know, you might not know why, but just, just taking that as a foundation um, and recognizing the power of perception that we see the world not as it is, but as we are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's so interesting because, like, we had a number of guests talk about, like, kind of their resistance to that philosophy. Um, you know, um, uh, kind of their resistance to the idea that, you know, they created the circumstances upon which they struggle with, you know, that they struggle the most with, um, you know, like, uh, well, be, here's the thing. Yeah. I think, I think you either have a choice. You can, you can say at the end of the day, the question is what, what really empowers me? Yeah. What empowers me? What sort of beliefs empower me? Hmm. You know, and maybe maybe none of it is true, but what what does it allow you to create? Yeah, because you know? ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like we're we're accepting the the dominant narratives. You know, traditionally, we're like, oh, that's the standby narrative. But that's also just a narrative. That's also just a a perspective, and we don't have to accept it. You know, we can kind of go um go into our hearts and find what's really true for us, and really understand right. that. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Like, um, in other words, like we can say. You know, the, some people think like so resigned to accept the dominant narrative, but the dominant narrative changes, and over the years and over the over the centuries, mm-hmm. it's changed dramatically. So um, you know, we we can understand that we can choose our own destiny, we can choose our own narrative, that we can kind of live within the truth that exists in our own hearts. Yeah, yeah, no, I believe that. I, I firmly believe that. Yeah, and then that's going to affect the way I I I, I interact in the world, mm. but. It's the same with any belief. Um, I would say let let effectiveness be your measure of truth. Is, is something working for you? Do does that belief or does that perspective allow you to create really art? You know, you know, create that that allow that passion to come out. Yeah, yeah. It also has to do with our personal choices is a political act. This is one of the themes of the show, the personal is political and how communities are made up of mm-hmm. unique persons, as you say. Um, mm-hmm. And like all these unique perspectives, all these big philosophies kind of create a mosaic of the political aspect of, um, of the world, you know, like how, how we all relate, not in this terms of affairs of state, but in terms of how we relate in communities, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on right. that? I think it starts with how we educate the young minds and hearts in our community. Yeah. That's where the change starts. So can we create a system or a structure or um, um, a way where every child is, is, is taught that they're important, that their opinions matter, that they can express themselves? And that's sort of the direction I'm going. I mentioned at the beginning that I was... Um, looking at developing sort of learning materials for for history and philosophy. And I want to, I'm playing with the idea of how can we do philosophy for kids, for, for children. Yeah. Um, to allow them to, you know, to create a space for them to uh, inspire them or inspire them to be curious, to think critically and look at their own beliefs and look at the world that they live in to 
play freely with ideas in their imagination to ultimately give them show to them that their opinions do matter they have a voice they can speculate they can think about things they can imagine mm. uh, they can discuss big questions like why don't we have a philosophy component in our education system is it because the teachers aren't trained is it because we don't value philosophy i mean you're going to be very lucky if you even have philosophy in high school right you're right. Yeah. I mean, it starts with, yeah, like, why is the sky blue comes out so early for kids yeah. just to be able to yeah, harness natural, that. They're natural philosophers. Right, absolutely. right. That, that, that would yeah, be great. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really great. And I think that hopefully we can encourage our education system. I think like our education system is becoming more and more, you know, kind of influenced by these polarization of, um, of uh, viewpoints. So, Hopefully we can get the education system to, to question and do critical thinking skills rather than just yeah. uh, following a, a specific philosophical ideological movement. Rather, they should they yeah. should be able to give facts and and have the students critically assess them. You know. Yeah. 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 I, I guess I do. If I do politicize just a second, the places that you have um, uh, lived recently has the the political state influenced your work it, to any extent? Are you tapped into the of Greece, of of Berlin? Um, and do you find these areas a little bit, I don't know, uh, you can be more focused than here in the United States or, or there's a universality to what you're teaching? Um, I think the biggest, most striking difference politically is just the whole take of everyone, every, every country's take on COVID right now. Mm. You know, mm. um, in the governments and how much how much are they're they're giving how you know what sort of restrictions they're implementing uh, how sternly they're implementing them so but before COVID hit I was it you um, know yeah I mean it was it was very it was fairly it was fairly common across the board I mean I lived in Luxembourg and I, I lived in the states but I'm also fortunate being a white male. Um, and, you know, not having the same, the same, you know, prejudices or, or stereotypes mm -hmm. on a political level where, right. you know, even just thinking, um, in terms of law enforcement and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. for me, there was, there was, a, there was a, there was a sort of a universal universality, as you said, before COVID, but now with COVID, you know, Greece treated, COVID a little bit differently than Germany and, uh, you know, in general, Germany is a little stricter. Um, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So now we have about a minute left. Um, I just want to remind listeners is ready for Brooklyn, Truth to Power Show. Ready for Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community, promote media literacy, education, and free expression, and public art. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every doll helps to stay on air uh, and allows us to continue to work in the community. We are 501c3 nonprofit organization, so all contributions are tax deductible. Uh, please support us with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at readyforbooking.org slash donate. If you're an Amazon shopper and like to donate in the way that costs you nothing, go to readyforbooking.org slash Amazon. We're to Ready for Brooklyn as the Amazon Smile Charity. Every time you shop, a portion of your purchase benefits Ready for Brooklyn. Okay. So this is Listen to Supported Radio. If you're interested in learning more, go to readyforbooking.org slash newsletter. Thanks so much, Zane, for being here. 
Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Happy end of the year. Thank you, guys. Yeah, definitely a nourishing conversation. Yeah, hope to do it again. You know, we'll try, you know, either whether it's a monthly, monthly, we used to, during COVID, which was very helpful. So this is a song about the fact that we're all complete. We're all whole and complete. At least that's what I feel. Um, And we don't need anyone else to complete us. And as long as we have that belief and have that feeling that we need another to complete us, we will be constantly on the search and never really be fulfilled. That whole, that wholeness, that completeness needs to be recognized first within oneself. And um, doesn't mean, you know, you don't have an intimate relationship with someone or you you don't fall in love or love someone but you do it from a place of wholeness and not lack and you're together because not because you need each other but because what you can create together is greater than what you could do separately so the whole is is greater than the sum of its parts in that case and it's not coming from a place of lack or need but a place of what can we create together all the broken hearts All the twisted dreams All the things That led you to me All the broken hearts All the twisted dreams All the things That led you to me They say What doesn't kill you makes you stronger They say Absence makes the heart grow fonder They say Doesn't kill you makes you stronger They say Absence makes the heart grow fonder
Daniel Norgan's Moonshine Got Me. Thank you for listening to Truth to Power Show and Ready for Brooklyn. We'll be rebroadcasting until January. Uh, happy holidays. <laughs>